Welcome to Folk Tales, a podcast series for anyone who loves spending time on, in or by the water. I'm Dominic Zamet, Director at Boat Folk, and throughout this series I'll be speaking with guests from our coastal communities to hear their stories and to learn what life on the water means to them. I hope you enjoy listening. Uh, good evening, Folktales listeners. It's B from Portland, and tonight I'm joined by Liz and Mark, two of our Portland birthholders who have a Fontaine Pajot Astro 42 with us. Mark and Liz went across the Atlantic uh, in the winter, and so they joined us to have a chat about their experiences. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. First of all, how are you on this fine April evening? A uh, bit cold. <laughs> bit different to uh, to Grenada, I guess, back in December. Yeah, Grenada was hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you crossed the Atlantic back in November, December as part of the ARC Plus, so the, uh, the Atlantic Rally for Cruises. So what boat did you did you go across on? Um, we went across on a um, Walkway 48-foot um, deck saloon, so um, really solidly built French yacht, very, very nice boat, actually. We've done a lot of sailing recently in a catamaran, so it was quite interesting to be back on a monohull again and get used to a slightly different motion. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Re- really enjoyed it. Yeah. And, and what was the weather like? Was it was it quite comfortable crossing with the weather, or was it a bit of a difficult one? Uh, I'll let you answer that, Mark. <laughs> well, we varied between almost dead calm, and I suppose the most we had was about thirty-five knots with three and a half meter swells. Ah, uh, yes. I, I, I feel you on that one. I also remember that experience. But uh, yeah, okay. So you had a bit of a mix of mixed bag. I guess that's to be expected when you're spending over three weeks at sea. Yes, we broke it up because the Arc Plus goes via the Cape Verdes. So the more unsettled weather was actually, or well, not unsettled, the more various weather was more on the trip down to the Cape Verdes. Mm. Once we got away from the Cape Verdes and the wind shadow that it causes, whilst the wind was various, it, it, it was always blowing. So you had wind all the way across the Atlantic, you weren't completely becalmed at any point or did you hit a few patches of, uh, of no wind at all? No, we didn't get becalmed at all, although the weather forecast the day after we got in was forecasting uh, a big hole, which some yachts were going to end up in, uh, but luckily we did We did have some quite light wind days, didn't we? Um, so we deployed our secret weapon, the, uh, the parasailer, which worked really, really well. Actually, you just needed to hold your nerve to fly it through the night because it needed sort of four of you to uh, you know get it under control when uh, squalls came through <laughs> yeah 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 i mean i guess there's different cell configurations and uh, was it was it a case of changing cell configurations a lot or was it sort of generally speaking you got things fairly well set and then it would stay like that for quite a while i'll let you answer that mark <laughs> Yeah, we had we had the Genoa pulled out one side and the Solent jib pulled out the other, and that was our primary rig for the downwind sailing. Unless the wind was too light for those heavy sails, in which case we then used the parasail, and we found that uh, that combination worked really, really well. The uh, difficulty, if you like, is the decision between switching i.e. taking down the parasail because you always think oh well you know it's only a little gust mm, and then yeah. suddenly it's not just a little gust it's more permanent um, yeah you, you need enough crew 
I think we we got quite. I mean, this was a new experience for me because I'd never been across the Atlantic before. But we um, we got quite sort of practiced at night, watching for the stars disappearing behind you in a clouds coming up and um, assessing was there going to be a lot of wind in those clouds? Was there going to be rain? What what were we, were we going to be faced with in terms of having to do something with the sails very quickly? So uh, I think we only got pretty much caught out once I think which was on the last night where it was a bit of an exciting kind of um half an hour let's just say trying to really <laughs> parasail down was was that because you kind of got a bit used to it all and and was sort of like that whole nearing land nearly there kind of state of mind <laughs> we, got, we got a bit complacent yeah, yeah I think I thought we did it was yeah we had less than 24 hours to go and we just kind of wanted to get there we just wanted to sort of yeah keep this lovely sail up that was powering us along really and um it was yeah came a bit too much for it really so yes you have much more than we anticipated as well uh, so by the time we made the decision to get it down it, the wind was increasing quite rapidly and so it took uh, myself and nick on the foredeck both of us hanging on the uh, snuffer line and we still couldn't snuff it, so we had to let one of the, or we had to let the sheet go, totally let it fly, and then we got it down without a problem. Okay, well, don't, yeah, I mean, that's um, that could be a bit of a, a difficult one, especially if you start finding that you can't actually pull lines or if you, you start looking at having to let lines go completely, it gets a bit exciting then. So was that at night when that happened? Yeah, it was about, yeah, about two o'clock in the morning, yeah. I think. Ooh. Hey, that's not when you want things to be going wrong, is it? No, not really. Did a did a nice brooch and a few few sort of casualties down below with things that um, you know flying around and what have you. But uh, yeah, but, uh, it was all fine. One moral, if uh, nothing else from that, is never ever put knots in the end of your sheets on sails like that. A lot of people do, but we didn't. Yeah, that well, I've I've always been taught that's a no no for spinnakers and and downwinding sails like that is just yeah you want to be able to let it go don't you yeah um, without without having to cut things or yeah yeah but you're yeah. you're still here to tell the tale and that is the most important part but uh sounds like an exciting last evening of the trip so for, the, for those listeners who don't know what the arc is uh, the arc is the atlantic valley for cruises and it goes across the atlantic every year uh in the winter usually it starts off about november time and they've got different iterations you can do so you can go straight from Gran Canaria to, across to uh, the Caribbean to St Lucia or you can go as you did from Gran Canaria down to the Cape Verdes and then across from there to Grenada you were, you were heading into wasn't it so in terms of the art plus what what did you feel the benefits were of, of doing that extended voyage is that just to get further south or um, well for, for me personally i i loved the fact that we were spending five days sailing south to the cape verdes um for me it gave me the opportunity to sort of get used to the boat get into the rhythm of you know an extended period of time at sea which i haven't had for a while i love the opportunity to be to go to the cape verdes never been there before uh, always wanted to go really interesting place to visit um obviously you are getting a lot further south and uh Mark's a bit more experienced in these things than me, and I think the weather's a little bit more consistent the further south. Is that right, Mark? Would you say that's a fair comment? That's what I've found, yeah. You get less schools, uh, or I've found that you get less schools if you go down as far as the Cape Verdes and then cross, rather than what I did the first time. I went from Tenerife, and I cut the corner before the Cape Verdes. I found I got more schools, and talking to other people who do the arc. It does seem to be the case. And the arc, I mean, it goes 
quite early, really. And I, I know that the reasons for that is to get people across to the Caribbean to um, you know, to enjoy the entire season out there before they've got to turn around and come back or find somewhere to hide for the, the season. But um, I, I hear that the winds are coming in later and later and that go by going further south, you've got that stable trade winds coming in. There are an awful lot of boats that cross, not in the Ark as well, mustn't forget those, an awful lot of people join informal groups of various clubs, etc., and cross, a lot of them still before Christmas for exactly the same reason as why the Ark does it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, did you, when you, with the Ark Plus, did you find that, you, you all started out obviously from Grand Canaria together, did you then regroup in, Grand, in the Cape Verdes or did you just get down there yeah. stay for a few days and then go up whenever you wanted to or did you sort of end up a bit scattered they had, they had another start line at the Cape Verdes which makes that so a you spent as long in the Cape Verdes as depending on what how quickly you arrived depending on how long you spent there because we all had the same start date right, yeah. to start from the Cape Verdes that makes it I mean I so I went across uh, on the, the the standard arc, I suppose you could call it, from Grand Canaria to St Lucia, and then quite a few of the boats ended up stopping off actually in Cape Verde anyway, either for repair because of that first shakedown at sea. And we had the same thing where we had a slightly uh, sort of shaken up weather pattern. It wasn't particularly settled, unsettled. That's the word I'm looking for. Weather pattern when we when we left, so we had quite big seas and a strong following wind. Um, and I think quite a few had to pop into Cape Verde to repair. So it makes perfect sense to sort of actually have that as your first destination. And we probably pretty much went down as far as you guys anyway before we went across. So we just didn't have the benefit of stopping in and seeing a lovely other country to explore. Oh, actually, the, the staff in Cape Verde were very good. I mean, with, there was everything there that you needed in terms of sort of doing repairs, wasn't there? Because we had a few repairs to do. Like we had our Genoa came down, didn't it, on the the last night yeah. into Cape Verde and we have a steering problem as well there were a few things we needed no. to fix leg did we we, we identified a fu- funny noise from the steering that needed investigating I think yeah it wasn't a problem on the sailing it we found a noise yeah. and we investigated it while we we're in the Cape Verde and found the problem so that was that was quite reassuring to sort of have the you know the, the guys on site the you know the sort of mechanical guys that were really helpful actually weren't they really really supportive so um, yeah yeah somehow temporarily fixed it but it didn't last it like oh it didn't go again when you were, or, or cause a problem when you were halfway across the Atlantic then yes ah you could only see vessels on AIS if they were within about four miles of us that's not a huge amount of time to make a make a change to your course. Yeah, I think AIS is a good aid, but I think some people rely on AIS too much. You still need to keep a good lookout, my personal view. Yes, no, I would would agree. (laughs) Me me three on that one. Yeah, definitely. Eyes are definitely uh, an important important thing there. I I think the thing that, I don't know how you found it, but the thing that surprised me was actually uh, how, even though you could see a pick up a boat on the AIS, actually, you couldn't see very much at all. I was expecting to be able to maybe see a bit further, um, especially when we, we see where the conditions were lighter. But. Well, the thing is, yachts at night, they've got their nav lights, but they've got a range of only two or three miles, particularly if they're deck lights rather than masthead lights. Yeah, they get behind a so. swell, yeah. And also, you know, during the day as well, a white sail against the horizon actually isn't that easy to pick up. 
No. That's why yeah. we flew the parasails that people could see us as we went past them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what is, what was your total distance sailed in the end? Yeah, we were chatting about this last night, actually, and I, I consulted my log before I started the call. <laughs> so according to my logbook, we did, um, it was 873 down to Cape Verde's, 873 nautical miles. Then I've got 2,200 going across to Grenada. So yeah, just, just over 3,000 miles we, we logged. Excitingly, we did get a prize when we got to Grenada as being the, the vessel that um, logged the shortest distance along the rum line between Cape Verde and Grenada. So we didn't come first, second or third or anything like that, but we um, we did get a prize. So that was that was quite exciting. <laughs> that was down to Mark really watching the cross-track error like a hawk once we were, we were doing the crossing. Well, we couldn't make up our minds which way to go to follow the weather. And then quite interestingly, the pack seemed to split quite uniformly. Some went south of the run line, some went north of the run line. And I don't know, it, it looked like more rolling the dice than anything. So Nick and I spoke about it and said, well, let's just go down the run line then. And, so that's <laughs> what we did. and you know, the race boats in there and all the rest of it, they quite clearly floored us. But I forget what, position did we come in our group I forget we did quite well i think we we're about 34th or something weren't we um i think oh, I was that overall yeah. 34th yeah. yeah how many boats were there in the fleet in the end uh, overall i think there were about 90, 97 i think yeah so we were we were really happy because we didn't expect to you know we weren't really we just wanted to get across there safely and have a good time you know but uh it's amazing how you get sucked into the, you know, trying to get up the fleet and get a better position, isn't it, as you know yourself, Be Well, my dad always said that if you've got two boats going in the same direction, they're racing. So, <laughs> And when you've got that many boats going in the same direction, I think we had about 160 in our fleet. Um, oh, that was okay. definitely a, a daily update of where our nearest rivals were and how we were faring against them. So, Absolutely. We got we got particularly excited to sort of overtake Captain Rounds as well, didn't we? <laughs> that sort of surprised us a little bit. But I think we had to, we had a great downwind rig, didn't we? It worked really really well. I think we averaged we worked out I think it's six point eight knots across the whole you know whole passage. That was really yeah. that was very good. No, quite pleased with that. Was it about two weeks that you were at sea at the end? Um, yeah, we just uh, I think it was thirteen days, five hours. We did the crossing in. So yeah, we we thought we would take longer than that. But, um, yeah, it was re- really fast, actually, compared to what we expected. Yeah, really good. That's really good going. A few boats that hadn't got, they hadn't bought any sails for downwind sailing. There were quite a few with just the Genoa and the main, and they were quite su- like the cats. Like we passed several catamarans that only had the Genoa and the main, whereas catamarans and monohulls had two Genoas of one form or another. Yeah. Uh, really really did make a difference uh, yeah i find that slightly mind-boggling that you're going on a, a or you're sailing across the atlantic on a, a downwind leg and you haven't got any downwind sail or downwind setup yeah well some people i spoke to just said well it's all right we've got the main out one side and the genoa out the other but the the wear on the main on a downwind sail like that is massive to be honest we actually did have that setup for a while uh, we were just trying we played around with things a lot I think the one that was the most, it gave us the best boat speed was the cruising shoot on one side, isometric on one side and the Genoa on the other. So, yeah, it's interesting speaking to all the other skippers about everyone's different experiences because every boat's different and 
and everyone's decision making is different, isn't it? So Yeah, absolutely. When you left Cape Verde, how long did it take before you lost sight of the rest of the fleet? Um, well, the first night was a bit hectic, wasn't it? There were sort of boats everywhere. Because <laughs> uh, um, we still had the effect of the island, and the, as you probably know, the Cape Verde's are quite mountainous. There was, a, there was quite a, an effect, um, sort of wind shadow or whatever, or an, an acceleration zone for a bit from there. So that there, there was a bit chaotic. But actually, very quickly, we, we were on our own, weren't we? You know, all the boats sort of we all spread out. And- I think the first night was, we, I think the start time was sort of, Midday or one o'clock or something. Yeah, about one o'clock, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. It was very hectic and there was lots of radio calls yeah. between boats, just checking, are you passing in front or behind? <laughs> you know, yeah. We're involved in some of those as well. But by midday the next day, yeah, I suppose we we could see two boats. Yeah, it sounds quite similar to us. Yeah. The whole way across, we had two or three boats within, I, I, I would say, within five miles of us but we couldn't see them very often. Yeah. It became quite competitive. <laughs> did, uh, did you manage to beat them in in the end? Well, we had a little bit of an incident as we approached Grenada. As we went round the south of the island, <laughs> the autopilot decided to uh, throw a wobbler. And was it only to port or only to starboard we could go? Yeah, we, we could only go one way, so we were actually going around in circles. For <laughs> we could see we could see land, we could see Grenada, which was really exciting because it was very beautiful, and we we hadn't seen any land for nearly two weeks, and we were just going around in circles. And yeah, needed a, a bit of a fix done. We, we disengaged the autopilot, but it still wouldn't let us do anything but go around in circles. So we actually had to go down into the lazarette and actually disconnect the autopilot arm from the rudder Uh, because what had happened is the autopilot had actually locked up so even if you disengaged it 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 was still controlling it it wouldn't disengage (laughs) it's just locked that was within an hour of the finish line Uh, very frustrating you couldn't make it up are you sure one of your competitors didn't rig that? I'm still thinking that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what time did you come across the finish line? Was it during the day or was it in night? I think it was about half four, was it? It was about that time, maybe a bit earlier, half three. Because we, we got to Cape Verde's at half one in the morning where there was nothing open. So although we did have to drink on board, obviously, but um, we were determined that we were going to arrive in Grenada in the daylight. So civilised time, the bar's open, you know. Yeah. Best place you get to, isn't it, really, when you be <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were quite pleased about that. Oh, well done. Yeah, we, we came in at about two o'clock in the morning. So uh, oh, okay. I, I take my hats off to the, the team the team in St. Lucia because they must have been running backwards and forwards. And, and obviously the, the guys out on the, the uh, finished foot yacht as well but that time in the morning they probably they, they seemed very cheery let's put it that way given the time of, of arrival so um mm-hmm. the chap running around in his rib taking photos so like yeah you do feel like a celebrity don't you you, have the <laughs> you get the you know the rum punch you get the photographer you get the goodie bag and it's quite special isn't it actually yeah it was really it was a really if you arrived after i think it was was it five o'clock or seven o'clock if you arrived after a certain time, you're on your own. Oh. There were a couple of super yacht pontoons as you come into the marina. You would have to tie up there yourself and wait till morning. Oh. Which I thought was a bit disappointing if you've crossed the Atlantic. Yeah, you've come all that way. 
yeah, you want you want the uh, the VIP experience, don't you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Folk Tales, and join us for the next episode soon.